Please be seated and good morning again. See what love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him, writes St. John in the first verses of our epistle reading this morning from 1 John chapter 3. John, in writing this, is in the midst of a kind of an exuberant exposition of the glorious truth that the lavish love of God poured out in and through the person of Jesus Christ has resulted in our being called children of God. And just as he introduces this topic, he says this again, the reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. I think first, right off the bat, it's important for us to define who St. John is referring to with the term the world, the world. He isn't talking about the visible world of creation and people here. He's speaking metaphorically in the same sense that both Jesus himself and most of the New Testament writers use this term, the world. Father John Harden, whom many of you knew and loved, wonderful priest, Christian author, and, and teacher, wrote a work entitled The Modern Catholic Dictionary. And in there, he defines the world as follows, quote, the world of sin, estranged from God as the creation of man's self-will. It is at variance with the divine will and is what Christ meant when he said, I am not praying for the world, end quote. So again, St. John writes, the reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Jesus confirmed this truth again and again throughout the Gospels that the world, that is the carnal, unregenerate world, does not know God, and thus it remains carnal and unregenerate. Do we need to go through a list of examples this morning, or <laughs> can we just, as they say in court, stipulate that that's true? Let's stipulate, okay? So the world then neither recognizes you nor relates to you in any truly meaningful way if, if you are walking and living your life as a child of God. Do you want to know why? Because you are an alien. That's right. You are an alien, or to say it in a way that is less likely to spawn the rumor that Father Ed has lost his marbles, you are a citizen of another kingdom. We are called by God to be in this world, but not of this world. In John 15, 19, Jesus told us, if you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. The very word that the New Testament uses in the original Greek that we translate in English as church gives testimony to this truth that both Jesus and John are speaking of here. The word is ekklesia, which literally means those called out. Those called out, meaning those called out of the world, you and I. 
So brothers and sisters, you and I are citizens of a kingdom that is not of this world. Jesus told Pilate that, didn't he? My kingdom is not of this world. And those who are of the world are so because they have either consciously or, or unconsciously chosen darkness over light. So then please listen to me carefully here. Approval and affirmation and validation by the world isn't merely unnecessary for the faithful Christian. It is ultimately undesirable. Let me say it again. Approval and affirmation and validation by the world is not merely unnecessary for the faithful Christian. It is ultimately undesirable. Or to put it another way, if I'm a child of God and I never encounter disapproval or opposition from the world, I really need to take a long, hard look at my walk and my witness. Now, that doesn't mean that it's okay to be weird or wacky or obnoxious in the name of being a Christian. Nor does it mean that Christians should walk around with a chip on our shoulders, looking for the slightest provocation to pick a fight with those who don't agree with us. I don't mean that at all. But it does mean that we must continually acknowledge that what we value, what we stand for, what we know to be true as God's children are radically different from what the world values and stands for. That should be patently obvious to everyone here this morning, more obvious today than at any time in our lives. And it also means that the church is called to be countercultural. In other words, to continually raise the standard of righteousness and godliness, humbly yet confidently, before a popular culture that is anything but righteous or godly. I would submit that the failure to do so on the part of so many Catholics over the years, including sadly some priests and bishops, the failure to do so has contributed significantly in recent decades to the precipitous moral decline of our culture. In an effort to be accepted, which of course is just a natural human instinct, by the way, but in an effort to be accepted, far too many Catholics have remained silent and passive while the society that we live in has become more and more debased to the detriment of everyone in it, including ourselves, our children, our grandchildren, and generations to come, and to the detriment of the church itself. For too long, we have sacrificed decency and righteousness and truth on the altar of so-called relevance and tolerance and diversity. Far too many Catholics have been polite and accepting and non-confrontational to a fault. And for our efforts, we are now witnessing a culture that is in the throes of societal suicide a culture that is rapidly self-destructing before our very eyes, rapidly coming apart at the seams. 
And as a society, we have also fallen into the trap of regularly electing leaders who are actually active agents of that self-destruction. And to remain silent or passive in the face of such destructive moral aberrations as those that have gripped our culture is a sure recipe for squandering whatever moral authority we, we might otherwise be able to muster against those aberrations. And by the way, we need to ask ourselves this question. Have those decades-long attempts by Catholics and other Christians to gain acceptance and affirmation and validation by the larger society achieved the desired result? And let me ask you another question then, especially for those of you who are over the age of 50. Does the church today have a greater or lesser degree of acceptance by the culture than it did when we were younger? I think we all know the answer to that question. It's self-evident. Never before in my lifetime has the church been so disrespected by the media, by the entertainment industry, by many of those in government as it is today. It is one of the signs and part of the evidence that we are living in a post-Christian culture. In seeking to be validated by a perverse culture, we inevitably end up validating the culture itself. It works in reverse. And in that process, the church, which is called on by God to have a positive impact on the culture, ends up being negatively impacted by it. Again, it works in reverse. Let me give you a few examples. This is the time of year when colleges and universities all over the country announce who the keynote speakers are going to be at their commencement exercises, their graduations. In a trend that has been growing in recent years, many Catholic colleges and universities all over the country are announcing the names of individuals as commencement speakers who hold very clear and public opinions that are in direct contradiction to fundamental Catholic moral teachings on issues like abortion, same-sex marriage, transgenderism, and so forth. Those speakers will no doubt be awarded honorary doctorate degrees at the end of their speeches, much like the University of Notre Dame awarded then-President Obama, demonstrably at the time the most pro-abortion anti-Catholic president in history when he was their commencement speaker in 2009. So here's my question. Let's think about this. Who gets validated when that happens? Who gets validated? Is it the Catholic college or is it the anti-Catholic speaker? And by the way, in return for that validation, the Obama administration turned right around and tried to force Notre Dame and every other Catholic college in the nation, as well as other Catholic institutions and religious orders like the Little Sisters of the Poor to comply with the HHS mandate in direct violation of the church's clear and long-held teaching on abortion and contraception. So you see how it works? That's how it works. <clears throat> Many of you are familiar with the name Robert George. Dr. Robert P. George, by the way, is the McCormick Professor of Jurisprudence at Princeton University. 
He's a member of the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom, at least for the time being, and above all, a faithful Catholic layman. Several years ago, Dr. George spoke at the National Catholic Prayer Breakfast, and here's what he said in part, quote, the days of socially acceptable Christianity are over. The days of comfortable Catholicism are past. It is no longer easy to be a faithful Christian, a good Catholic, an authentic witness to the truths of the gospel. A price is demanded and must be paid. That's because, he says, the guardians of those norms of cultural orthodoxy that we have come to call political correctness do not assume that identifying as Catholic or going to Mass necessarily means that one actually believes what the Church teaches on issues such as marriage and sexual morality and the sanctity of human life. To be a witness to the Gospel today is to make oneself a marked man or woman." End quote. So the forces that stand in opposition to the Church, including tragically many within the Church herself, have become emboldened by, among other things, the decades-long effort on the part of so many Catholics to placate those forces. And may I say, today it is further emboldened by the election of a president who, while loudly trumpeting his Catholicism, stands aggressively in opposition to the Church's most cherished moral precepts. Brothers and sisters, we cannot, we must not placate or accommodate evil. Because when we do, do you know what happens? You know what happens when we placate evil? We get more evil. Our responsibility as children of God is to confront it lovingly, humbly, but confidently, to show the world that there is a better way. Yes, I said to show the world that there is a better way, the way won by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, which we celebrate during this Easter season. That death and resurrection provides every single human being on the planet with the opportunity and the privilege to become a child of God. And the best way for us to do that is to teach by our words and to demonstrate by our lives the better way, God's way, the way that leads by faith to God and ultimately to, to heaven, the way that leads to God calling us His children and so in conclusion then, let's you and I commit by word and example to teach everyone we know the compelling truth that God wants them to become His children by accepting His truth and accepting His love and accepting His redemption. See what love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.